Hi everyone, welcome to Plugged In, an electric rideshare podcast based in Portland, Oregon, where we talk with rideshare drivers about their experience switching to electric. I'm your host, Lindsay Schelke. I'm a program associate at Forth, a nonprofit advancing electric, smart, and shared mobility. episode is a little different. Over the course of 2020, we got to talk to eight different rideshare and delivery drivers about their experiences with electric vehicles. We compiled some of our best moments with them into one best hits episode. To start us off, we asked our drivers what it's like to drive an electric vehicle. Without an engine powering the car, electric vehicles drive smoother. But don't take our word for it. Drivers Kamasu, Courtney, Rudy and Jose share what it's like to drive an electric vehicle compared to a gas car. Anyone who's never driven an EV and the difference between driving an EV versus a gas car is the weight distribution. When That really comes into play when you're driving cars. Gas cars and ICE, you have this big, huge iron block, which is sitting above uh, the axle point in the front wheels. So as you turn corners, it sloshes from side to side versus an EV, the batteries are between the axle points and below them. So all your weight of the vehicle, the biggest part of the weight of the vehicle is right in the center of the car, keeps the car super planted. So it's very agile through corners, very minimal body roll, very stable, and it's very hard to roll over EVs. The power is always there um, as far as like being able to get yourself out of danger, accelerate up hills, get around obstacles. Um, But the ease of driving is huge, especially for rideshare. Electric cars don't have any gears to go through. They don't have, when you press your foot on the gas, you get immediate power, it's all torque. So that means that I can beat a Mustang, I can beat a BMW, I can beat a Mercedes. I can beat really fast cars because my car doesn't have to go through any gear change. And I used to drive a a manual transmission car. I've always driven manual transmissions. I love them. And like when people would talk about like, oh, they're probably not fun to drive. I used to just speed up for my passengers just to show them how fun it was. And they'd be like, dang, as it, you know, wow, this thing is fast because it's just, it, it's all power. It can catch up. It's all power. It's like a roller coaster. (laughs) It's really smooth too. It's very smooth. It's very fast. If you want to go out there and use your car to race other cars and beat them down and humiliate them, by all means. Me personally, I need my range, so. (laughs) I can't just fit in any small economical four-cylinder car that's going to save me gas. So when I fit in the Bolt, you know, I really fit. It's really spacious, to be honest, because there's there's no transmission. There's no really anything. So the dash is really pushed up to the back. It's really just spacious in there. I've been able to fit, you know, five adults in there with luggage in the rear, you know? So it's, yeah, like, and they're like six feet tall each, you know? We're all like sitting in there. We're like riding along. I honestly think the Chevy Bolt, like, you know, they're not paying me to say this, but it's pretty, it's almost made to like do ride share, honestly. Has a lot of space in the trunk. You can fit like maybe like two big luggage, maybe three, to be honest, like, they're pretty big, and then you can fit tall people in the rear and tall people in the front, too. All at once? No, nah, all at once, yeah. <laughs> they look small from the outside. I've had people come inside the vehicle, and they're like, whoa, it's a cute little car from the outside, and then you get inside, and it's like, 
Wow, it's pretty spacious. You know, it's a lot of you know room in here. It definitely feels uh, more nimble uh, than a lot of cars that I've had in the past. It feels like a Honda Civic. It allows me to get through traffic. You know, uh, a little bit more comfortable, not so tight on the road, smaller streets, and then when I have to find parking, it's very easy. I can just park pretty much anywhere. It's a uh, night and day difference. It's a, it's just like the fastest car I have right now, and I actually do own another vehicle. It's a gas car, and it's quote-unquote kind of like a sports vehicle and i think my electric car is actually faster when i accelerate from a stop at a stoplight you like zoom off and you're not even really going that fast you're just accelerating so much quicker than a regular car you respond very quickly probably the biggest day-to-day difference drivers experience in an electric vehicle is the new way to fuel their cars charging what's charging like and is it realistic for rideshare and delivery work We'll hear from drivers Erwan, Jared, Kamasu, Rudy, Jose, and Courtney. I, uh, I now charge at stations that tend to cost me about 4 or $5 for a full charge. And that's about half the price of, of filling a, a gas car, the smallest gas car. There are just greater availability of charging stations to use these cars. In. I, I bought that Tesla, and two months later, I was headed down to Arizona. And what was funny is uh, one of the charging stations I rolled into was literally in a gas station for semis or truck stop and there were only two chargers and they were hard to find. I had to roll around until I found it. I charged up there. So two years later, I went back to Arizona, same city, a block over, 40 superchargers. Charging is pretty amazing because what a lot of people don't realize is that um, over about 60% or higher of the chargers that they'll find around town, uh, especially the ones that are sponsored by the city, are completely free. You think about gas. There is no place that gives away free gas. You know, you might not be able to get all of your charging done by free. Some of it you will have to pay for, but There's no place that gives free gas. Even if you work at the refinery, they don't give you free gas. Um, Versus in an EV, you can grab a lot of charge completely free. What I normally do is I start my day in the beginning uh, with the full charge. So I usually plug the car in overnight, let it charge. And then when I wake up, it's full. As a rideshare driver, um, you know, a lot of times your, your morning runs are airport runs. So it's like I can get home in a gas car if I'm doing rideshare all day pull in the, in the driveway and then realize, oh, wow, the car is on empty. Now you either got to decide to back out of the driveway and go get gas so I can be ready to go in the morning, or I got to get up a little earlier, go down to the gas station, get gas so I can be ready for my first ride. You're in an EV, I pull into my driveway, I'm like, oh, my car is low. Hmm. Oh, well, plug it in, go to bed. When I wake up in the morning, it's already ready to rock and roll. There's an ebb and flow to rideshare. I mean, the mornings are super busy because people need to get to work, school, daycare, all these places. But then, so from like 5 a.m. to 10 a.m., it's booming. But then between 10 and noon, there's a there's a lull because everyone is where they need to be. Kind of picks up a little bit for lunch. But then after that, it, you have another lull from about 12, 31 o'clock until about 3, 30, 4 o'clock, and people start getting off of work and out of school and out of daycare. Um, 
And that's the time that most drivers take their lunch and or they do their prayer sessions or they do their exercise or they go to the gym or they do whatever they do during that middle of the day when there's not a lot of drives. A lot of times their car is parked and they're walking around the lake or doing exercises. So while your car is parked, while you're doing your exercises or prayers or whatever you're doing in the middle of the day, while your car is parked, why would it not be charging? And then the lull is over, 3.30, 4 o'clock comes, your car is fully charged and ready to go, and you start up again, and bada boom, bada bang, you're good to go. Right now, currently, I live in my apartment, and I have to go fast charge somewhere, which is no big deal. I, I, really, don't, I really don't mind it. There's a Walmart nearby, and there's like 20 fast chargers, and I can just go 24-7, and it's relatively cheap compared to gas. It takes about an hour to fully charge my car, an hour 10, hour 15. Um, that's if I'm like dead, you know, red, and I wanted to give 240 miles for the day, then that would probably be like $10, you know, at an expensive charger. But usually, and even some, if you really can, in, uh, in my in my city, there's a lot of free chargers. So you can kind of just kind of see on the app and kind of like, if you really want to, you can kind of get away with just getting free charge, which I did at the beginning, to be honest. There was a lot of free charging available. I just kind of just figure out ways to kind of get busy with that hour station near my house has like eight chargers so there's never been a time where there are seven other people charging so anytime i go there i can charge my advice to someone would seek out the best the place that has the most charges charges is close to you the mental break of just being able to sit in a quiet space for 45 minutes after driving around especially when the traffic is bad can help out a lot or me personally, I, I uh, charge at the end of my day. And I just like, I'll read a book or listen to a podcast or anything. The time goes by so quickly. Portland is very, very fortunate that our electric vehicle charging is heavily subsidized by the local gas and electric company. So I can tell you, I know where every subsidized charger is. I'm familiar with all of them. I go to all of them. For the ones that are not subsidized, those are empty a lot of the time. You can pretty much drive up anytime and get and get on a charger, and most of the time they will be free. Of course, there's a charging time, but I always found ways to use my charging time effectively, typically by sleeping. Or I would go to I used to go to the gym during my charging time. You know, there are chargers all over. I've had I've heard people say, oh, but where would I charge my car? And I'm like, I, I don't see chargers. I'm like, you don't see them because you don't drive an electric car. Before I drove an electric car, I never noticed any chargers. If you had asked me where a charger was, I would have been like, huh, what, what are you talking about? Now I see them everywhere. So typically you will always find chargers at um, like a lot of grocery stores. Places that are already, I think, sort of, um, more in tune with environmental friendliness. So like REIs, you know, will have um, chargers. A lot of businesses will have chargers. And depending on the business, you'll be able to use it even if you're not using the business. Um, a lot of hotels have chargers. Almost every single, I can't think of a dealership that doesn't have a charger. And there are some where you can access the charger even when the dealership is closed. So every dealership has a charger, but PGE's chargers in particular, they've tried to spread them out so that you can, so that you're never more than like 15 minutes from a PGE charger. At home, I charge by plugging my car into the wall, just like you would charge your cell phone or, you know, my Fitbit. Um, I just, it's the charger that came with my car. It's a level one charger. I plug it into the wall at home and 
you know, just leave it alone. Because I'm a really high mileage driver, um, for me, when I was doing 300 to 400 miles a day, I, I typically charge my car um, at during three specific times. So after I finished my shift at 9 or 10 a.m., I would go plug into the fast charger and I would charge until my car was fully charged. I would go home and I would plug my car in so it'll be fully charged when I wake up. When I would wake up and I would go and I would work. And I would work typically until 3 a.m. And then that's when I would charge my car at the fast charger again from 3 a.m. until, and it would normally be like 3.30 or 4. I wouldn't fully charge it um, sometimes. It, I would charge it so that when I got those airport rushes, I'd be able to handle it and not have to worry about charging until I was done. So if my car was, say, at 60% and I needed to get it to 80%, you're not talking more than 20 minutes, you know, half an hour max. But if, I, if you get there and you don't have any energy and you have to charge your car from zero, then it will take about an hour to get from zero to 80%. What takes a long time is getting from 80% to 100%. You're talking another hour and 15 minutes to get that last 20%. I want that 20%. I need that 20%. Plus, it's just a longer nap for me or a longer workout for me. Without the engine of a traditional gas car, electric vehicles require a lot less maintenance. How much money do rideshare and delivery drivers save with an electric vehicle? What does maintenance actually look like? We asked drivers Jared, Jose, Kamasu, Rudy, Erwan, and Courtney. Now in 2020, you have, you know, more cost-effective cars that are out there in the electric vehicles, and you have more programs to help you get them. And just the return on a car like that, I mean, to be quite honest, I've had that e-golf over five years, and there's a mandatory service at 32. I didn't I didn't have to take it in. I didn't take it in until about 45,000 miles, and I paid them $150 to tell me there was nothing wrong with my car. So I'm like, I'm not going to bring it in here again. And at about 55,000 miles, it had an, this is the only problem I've ever had, and it was with that e-golf. Uh, but it was a newer car when it first came out, and so it, it burned out the electronics on the charger. So I actually had to take it in. And most of it was covered under warranty, even after five years. But it, it did cost me $1,200 out of my pocket. And I have to say, after five years of owning that car, one set of tires and $1,200, that is still the cheapest car I've ever owned. With my other cars, there was always, you know, you had the oil changes, you had fuel costs, you had filter costs, and then you also had your fluid costs and maintenance for your wipers and everything else. With an, electric, with an electric vehicle, you don't have any of that except maybe your fluid cost and your wipers and a set of tires. Brakes do not even become an issue because you have your regenerative braking. And because brakes are designed to stop a vehicle at speed, they last so much longer when you're stopping the car at under 10 miles an hour, which is when the actual mechanical brakes engage. So the, the e-Golf, probably won't need brakes for another five, 10 years. My Tesla, uh, maybe a little more because it's more fun to drive, <laughs> but it, literally the, the motors do 95% of the braking. And, and keep in mind, uh, when you, with a conventional ICE vehicle, if you burn up a transmission, well, there's five grand. You burn up a motor, there's another five grand. So. Coming to an electric vehicle where you don't spend that money for years and years and yeah, it may come up all at once, like I didn't anticipate the $1,200 for the e-golf, still, 
in terms of overall usage, it's, it's a minor expense. When I was trying to promote both the e-Golf and the Tesla to the local drivers uh, at the airport, first question I asked them is, how much money are you spending on gas a month? And it was anywhere from two to $400. I said, how much is your payment? And anywhere from three to $500. I said, between your gas and your payment, that's what the car's gonna cost you. You're not gonna, and you won't have to spend on gas. And they said, well, what about my electricity? Is my electricity bill gonna go up? <laughs> and I said, yeah, about 10 bucks, you know, it's, it's really cheap. And they don't notice it. And you don't, I, I never noticed it on my electric bill, to be quite honest. The car literally starts to pay for itself. I drive part-time five, six days a week. And that ends up being like an extra, I don't know, 900 to 1,000 miles that I, would, I wouldn't drive if I wasn't driving Uber or Lyft. Having said that, if you start to multiply those miles over weeks, you need an oil change like every month and a half, two months. With the EV, you don't need an oil change at all. Rideshare, obviously, cost is everything. And as your rideshare driver, you have three big costs. Obviously, your car note is the number one. That's your largest. Insurance is number two. And then fuel is your number three cost. So by going with an EV, you are minimizing to almost complete eliminating that third tier of your, of your cost to profit analysis. The cost of gas versus uh, electricity it's nominal. At the top of your PG&E bill, it'll say what you're paying per kilowatt at home. It's usually somewhere between 18 to 20 cents a kilowatt. Look at gas. Gas is usually about four bucks a gallon. You know, if your car gets 30 miles on the highway, it's getting 16, 17 on the streets. Kind of blend that together, you're getting about 20 to 25 miles per gallon when you really break it down. So $4.00 for 25 miles, you're basically paying about a dollar for every five miles you go. I mean, that's what it, kind of what it breaks out to. If you look at electricity at 20 cents a kilowatt and the average EV goes somewhere between three to five miles per kilowatt. So you're paying 20 cents for five miles or a dollar for five miles. You're literally paying a fifth of the cost. I mean, it's, it's literally a no brainer right there alone. And that's not even factoring in Maintenance, which is another people don't think about as a rideshare driver. Maintenance, when your car is down, you can't make money. When you're getting an oil change, you can't make money. When your car needs a tune-up, a timing belt, a water pump, hoses, belts, new transmission, new drivetrain, new transaxle, all those things break, you're not making money. Not only are you not making money, but you had to pay for that part. EVs are literally almost maintenance-free. Most EVs have anywhere from a six-year, 100,000. So I've even seen some that have an eight-year, 150,000-mile warranty on the battery. That's massive. The, or the electric motor. If you're always worried about if the motor burns out, you know, that's going to cost me so much money. I always ask them, I said, do you own a blender? And a lot of people say, yeah. And I go, how long have you had your blender? And they're like, 10 years. I'm like, okay. Have you done any maintenance on that electric motor in that blender? No, you haven't. And it's been working for 10 years. You've never done a single thing to it. You've never tuned it up. You've never got an oil change. You never got the fluids flush. You never changed the belts on it. That blender just spins every time you ask it to spin and make your margaritas. And that is essentially the motor that's in your electric car. If you look at the amount of moving parts in an EV compared to the amount of moving parts in a gas car, I think most people don't really understand 
or the full scope of what happens in their gas car when they hit the accelerator. You know, they're used to, they hit the accelerator and the car goes. And then their mind like, oh yeah, I just hit the accelerator and, and, and I put it in gear and it goes. But if you took the time to break down the amount of things that's happening and everything has to happen right. I mean, it has to suck in air, suck in gas, mix those properly. The computer has to tell the spark plug when to fire, the, the explosion. And once again, the, the explosion, the contained explosion in your car has to then push the piston down, which then touches the rod, which then goes to the crankshaft and the drive shaft, the differential, and then the, the transmission, and then the drive shaft, and then and then and then all that has to happen before the wheels turn barely. And then you have to do that thousands and thousands and thousands of times per minute versus an EV. It's very simple and very few moving parts, not a lot of heat. EVs don't really generate heat. So the heat from their, from a gas motor and all those contained explosions, it's literally just tearing your engine apart. The, the reliability level, it's, it's not even comparable. It's a big difference. I used to do Postmates with my gas vehicle, and it was a uh, it wasn't like an eight cylinder. It wasn't like a big car. It wasn't you know it wasn't a Prius, but it wasn't like a suburban. You know, it was like something decent gas mileage. And I noticed I started noticing a lot of uh, the engine wear and tear with like the oil uh, oil changes were like almost every month. Plugging mm-hmm. about you know twenty dollars a day in gas plus the maintenance plus the oil changes plus this you know so it could be anywhere from six hundred to eight hundred dollars a month. That you save? Yeah, at least, yeah, at least five, six hundred dollars. Yeah, easily. Well, that's my car payment pretty much. The money that I'm saving, it's my car payment and my insurance payment. So, all that money that I was spending on gas, I'm spending it on my lease. So, it's a you know, it's, it's a write off for my taxes. So, it was a good move. If you can use a gas, an electric vehicle, you know, like you, you keep your, your earnings. There, there's little battery degradation because they keep the, the battery temperature stable, you know. It's- prevents the formation of what they call dendrites. I'm coming up on my 100,000 miles very soon and I'll have to replace the fluids. But before that, nothing, nothing at all. So I, I cut down on costs and maintenance and, and worry. I attempted, uh, I tried to rent, what do you call it? Do one of those uh, rental deals through uh, Hertz and Lyft. And just having to pay around 50 bucks a day for the uh, for the gas was sort of, too much. Like I said, I was paying a lot of money in gas. I was paying about $250 to $300 a week in gas. Um, Because I was driving three to 400 miles a night, I was um, getting oil changes every, um, typically every one and a half to two weeks. I was getting my oil changed. Um, I was having repairs that I had to do on my car. You know, I had a Honda, so those are really reliable cars, but there were still things that had to be done, tune-ups, you know, just regular maintenance, um, you know, just replacing parts and stuff. Um, When I purchased my Bolt, I did not realize what huge, huge, like I knew I I had done all this research. I I knew what the electric car was about. I knew the limitations and the the upsides and the downsides, but, and all the time I've had that car, I've never had to pay for any repairs at all. None. Zero. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Plugged In Podcast. For more information about Forth's Fair Financing Program, please visit www.forthmobility.org. That's F-O-R-T-H 
mobility, M-O-B-I-L-I-T-Y dot org. Or you can email electrifyrideshare at fourthmobility.org.